When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Yeah, I think that's probably a great example, but also maybe even over the top example. I mean, you don't expect to have a block punt every series and a a sack and a short drive and, and a long run, you know, those were, it, it all just came together today. And, you know, complimentary football also means, you know, when the punt isn't blocked and the sack doesn't happen, still finding a way to make the plays to pick one another up. And if a game calls for us to win in the 50s, to be able to do that too. So uh, you got to play the game that's called. And today was a very unique one. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, Jonathan Harrison producing. We will have Rob Domofsky, ESPN Green Bay Packers reporter, coming up in about 20 minutes to tell us about this new Packers defense. And then Alex Boone, we have a fun new feature to debut with Alex Boone that is absolutely perfect for Alex. So we will uh, talk to him. Perfect for you too, Meathead. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it's, I have the mentality of a fullback or lineman, but, but old as school, someone who couldn't block school, anyone, right. Fullback, yes. like, ne- you know, the guys who can I give away. No, I mean, go ahead. You almost said it. I said it. Guys with the neck roll. We're going to give away a neck roll. Like we're going to give our <laughs> neck roll of the week award for the toughest old school performance of the week. So Alex going to have one Courtney Cronin as well. Um, let's start out though. With the New York Jets releasing Corey Vedvik. And there's a lot to get to with the Vikings, trust me. But, I mean, I just, what's your favorite Corey Vedvik moment, Courtney? Um, I think that first day when he comes in like Adonis, the Greek god. I mean, the guy's like six foot five. He's huge for a kicker. C- cut. Like, he doesn't look like your normal kicker. Like, he looks like he's just ripped. Um, and he's kicking 60 yard field goals off the tee it by was himself. Legit 60. And it reminded me, somebody, I don't know, somebody said it was the Monst, maybe it was the Monstars, the thing from. Yeah, yeah, Space Jam. It reminded them of like the Monstars coming in or somebody from that where it's like the little dweebs uh, of the group that would have been Dan Bailey. Dan Bailey is Austin Cutting, um, uh, Kevin McDermott, and Dan Bailey, like the four of them. And then it's just like this Greek god over here just like booting 60 yard field goals. Yeah. that was that was the best of times, and there were a lot of oh. worst of times. So the way that it works at TCO Performance Centers, there's two fields. Yes. And there's one field where the real players are playing, and the other field is where the kicker, punter, long snapper, and someone who's a special teams assistant are all working out on that side. And I've never looked over there, <laughs> ever, to see what they're doing. I've 
only at training camp ever watched the 11-on-11s and the real drills that are going on with quarterbacks, wide receivers, offensive line, the people who we would like to watch much more than just special teams, yeah. Just them punting balls. Like, I don't know what they're doing over there. But when Corey Vedvik was signed, for the first time ever, we turned around. Yes. And there were five or six of us just staring at punter, kicker, holder, Corey Vedvik, and Dan Bailey, and Matt Weil. And poor Matt Weil is standing there just watching Corey Vedvik boot footballs. Just like, okay, yeah, I'm still here, but... Here's this guy. <laughs> I think my favorite moment of that, because I do remember before he went to the other field to kick the 60-yard field goals off the tee, do you remember that intern who was catching like the punts? Yes. It was unbelievable. That guy deserves an award. Maybe we should have known that this wasn't going to go well if the intern could catch the guy's punts, then oh, okay. anybody totally fair. can. Totally right? fair. Um, I remember actually turning to that field when I knew things were really going south. Um, about four day, four or five days before this, when Dan Bailey was banished to the practice field by himself. And I think we were all singing one is the loneliest number, just walk, watching him walk over there completely dejected. It was August 6th. Um, so it would have been after he missed, he went three of six in practice that day. Um, and that was the moment I knew that we were going to have a kicking competition, albeit a pseudo one, allegedly now, um, in training camp. And that's, that kind of sparked the Corey Vedvik era, but I remember in game this past Sunday when you and I were talking, like, you know, he missed a PAT. Oh my goodness, he missed a, he field, missed goal. a field goal. It's, um, o- it's over then. W- go- sending him to MetLife is probably the worst possible decision. Like, you know, I know the Jets claimed him off waivers and he didn't really have a choice, but oh my goodness, there is literally not a worse place to send somebody who could ki- couldn't kick indoors. The swirling winds. To a, I mean, Dan Bailey, I remember speaking to him last year after the Jets game just about the wind tunnel that was there, and it was just, for him as a veteran, it was really, really hard. So I can only imagine what that was like on Sunday for Corey Vedvik. Um, now, Vedvik did his worst work in Buffalo, where you would have had a good sample of being windy, windy. and outdoors, mm-hmm. and yet he showed you right there that he couldn't kick, and the brilliant New York Jets went and signed him anyway and lost by a point, which is just delicious. That's exactly um, what Mike Zimmer wanted to avoid, so all of the truthers out imagine? there that want to come back and say, oh, they lost a fifth-round pick, um, they, you know, it was hindsight's twenty twenty. yes, but... I actually kind of, like now, and even on cutdown day, I felt the same way. I applaud the front office for not doubling down and being like, crap, we just traded a fifth-round pick for this guy. Um, like, we need to keep him around. I know they did try to get him onto the practice squad, but the audacity they had to cut their losses was very, very smart. And clearly it's going to pan out in the long run that they're not dealing with this headache on special teams. And it's also worth pointing out in that they cut the fifth round pick from this year. Yeah. Cameron Smith mm-hmm. and put him on the practice squad. So it isn't like giving up a fifth round pick is the end of the world. Um, but I'll just add in terms of, uh, cause you jogged my memory, our favorite Corey Vedvik moment aside from his press conference <laughs> where, all right. Okay. Now I got two. uh, the press now conference. I have another one as well. He he was from Norway, so they're like a little bit different of a personality, I guess. And I think any American person, had they been asked the exact same question twice by two different reporters, and I, and I understand you can't hear very well on one side or the mm-hmm. other, but the exact to a T word, and he gave the same long answer twice, like the same which one, which words almost. Was it? I think it was about 
the story for the background of him becoming a kicker. And he oh, gave sure. the whole thing again. Yeah. Uh, I guess not to be impolite, which was hilarious, right? We're like, you literally just said that like a minute ago. And now he's going through the whole thing again. He's like, well, I moved over here and I saw the Super Bowl. And like, <laughs> dude, dude, you could have just been rude and be like, I already answered that. Uh, but he wasn't. And then you were talking about the punter or the uh, the intern catching the punt. Yeah. There was one that smacked off his hands and it was so loud we could hear it. Yes. And the dude tried to play it off like that didn't hurt like hell. That was in the video that I posted of Corey Vedvik booting punts. And you I could remember hear it you smack could his hand on the video. In the video. Um, man, the, do you remember Mike Zimmer and the notion like this is literally less than a month ago? I think it was about a month ago tomorrow or the next day. I know what you're like, going to say. Kicker punter combo. <laughs> yes, do like, both. <laughs> just like, yeah, let's let him be both. Do like, both. Can't even do one correctly. Like, what? <laughs> that, the notion that that was even oh, a remote man. possibility. What were we thinking? He'll play strong safety, too. I don't know. We'll because see. He, he looked, he's J Ron Curse's side, so he probably could. Oh, yeah, I guess J Ron does play multiple positions, but uh, he's actually good at it. Yeah. So, uh, that, but you're right. Sitting there and being like, um, so, Mike, do you think he can punt and kick it? Like, no one's done this since the 80s when you know, they, they didn't even have, like, all the same equipment. <laughs> it was such a disaster. Like, but you know the fun part about this for beat writers like us? We're going to look back at this, you know, I'll be somewhere 10 years from now. You'll be somewhere 10 years from now. I'm going to call you and be like, hey, remember Corey, Corey Benvick? I know. Remember those three weeks in August? <laughs> we may, knowing us, celebrate it next year. But uh, let's move on um, with some sort of, uh, maybe a cake. We can have a Corey Vedvik cake. Oh, we had one last year for Congratulations, a Corey, former running back. Yeah, we, we'll, uh, we'll keep that internal for now. But, uh, okay, so things that matter and not Corey Vedvik. Sorry to him that he can't kick. R.I.P. to his career. Yeah. I don't know. Is it's he- over. You don't think he'll get signed anywhere? I mean, I mean, what would be the point? Emergency kicker. I mean, Kai Forbath is doesn't even have a job. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do? Maybe someone point? signs him as a punter. I don't know. This will just keep going back and forth, <laughs> and he'll keep losing jobs. And anyway, uh, so threw it out there yesterday, Courtney, for Judd Zolgad um, and the Twitterers, whether we think that winning this way will work for the Minnesota Vikings. And mm-hmm. I mean by this way, because some people needed clarification, just playing hard defense, being really good on defense, leading the league in rush attempts, being low in the NFL in pass attempts, and getting key turnovers, not turning the ball over yourself. I mean, this is the model that teams have used for a long time to win. Uh, it's either you track meet everybody or you play strong defense, or you just great at both, and that usually means you're the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So I put it out there for a Twitter poll yesterday, and it was basically right down the middle. Some people thought, half the audience thought, that you could definitely keep winning this way because it's worked for teams in the past. And then the other half thought, no way, you're going to have to be way, way more explosive in your passing game, or you're just not going to you're just mm-hmm. not going to win. So it ended up 53% said yes, you can keep doing this. 47% said no for 1400 votes. So where do you stand on that? I stand and pick your spots with where you can do it. I mean, certainly the game plan did not call for this. The the score in the way that they were able to score 21 points quickly in the first half off turnovers, that's what allowed them to do it. Like why why would you put yourself in a position to pass if you don't need to, knowing who your quarterback is? And I mean, Think about Kirk Cousins' play that we saw throughout this game. It was kind of shaky. He had those two fumbles. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some good throws, and he did exactly what he had to do. It wasn't a great performance, but it was good. Um, 
I think the more pressure you can take off of him to have to execute, and whether he likes that or not, I'm sure everybody has an ego, everybody's a competitor, everybody wants to win the game and be the hero, but if you can win a game this way and you can do it against, I don't know, a third of your schedule, why wouldn't you? I, I There is... There is the thought with Dalvin Cook, and I mean, he was fine. He was healthy. And that, I mean, he played f- fantastic, but health-wise, he's fine. Can you do this with other guys, though, if you're trying not to wear him into the ground early on this season? I mean, can you can you pick spots and have Alexander Madison be the guy or, you know, have a combination of Madison and Boone or Madison and Abdullah? I don't know. Like, I don't think it's sustainable to think that this is going to be a trend that continues all that often. Yeah, and uh, I see from 538 they wrote a piece about what the Vikings did Mm -hmm. in terms of their run-pass ratio. And I would love to ask, what would you do when you're up 21 and you're running like crazy over them? The the Atlanta Falcons could not stop Delvin Cook or Alexander Madison, who ran nine times for 49 yards. What would you do? I would just keep giving it to the running back, too. Atlanta couldn't score. They weren't moving the ball very well. When they did, they threw it to Anthony Harris. And uh, so, you know, they fumbled the times that they mm-hmm. moved the ball. If I were Gary Kubiak, I don't think it matters if it's Gary or Bill Walsh or McVeigh or anybody. I think every coach would be like, okay, up three scores and you can't move against this. Why should we bother risking throwing a pass? Yeah, and the clock is your friend in this time. It's not always going to be that way. Like, this is how teams get to the Super Bowl, wearing down the other team methodically. And that's exactly what they did. Like, yeah, there might be times where they have to get into a shootout like they did with the Rams last year to win a game. Um, but I think with the run, and it's not just Mike Zimmer wanting this sort of imbalance. And we talked about balance, but if you read between the lines there, that's more run first mentality defense, placed out defense, and don't screw up on special teams. The rest of the stuff on offense, you know, it's an expensive game manager, but essentially that's kind of the role that sometimes Kirk Cousins will be relegated to take on. And if you don't care about, like, stats, or if you don't care about things like that, and you just care about what happens in the win-loss column, that matters. Then that's fine. You can get by that way. But to think that this is something that's sustainable, I mean, look at what the, I haven't, I wrote in my article coming out of the game on Sunday, um, you know, what happened against the Packers in the Packers Bears game last week. Like, I don't think this is a model that's going to transition over into week two, um, by any stretch. Cause watch the Bears did try to run early. Like they had 10 runs in the first quarter. Um, and what happened? They got behind, and they had to abandon the run. This exact yep. same thing happened to the Vikings in so many situations last year. So when you're forced back into shotgun, and you're, I mean, that's very obvious you're going to pass or you're going to run play action out of it, 85% of the time, like, you become one-dimensional. And it's hard, but, like, what are you going to do? If you're down and you have to score points and your run game isn't working because you're running into a brand new defensive front thanks to free agency in the draft and all of the good stuff that they have there, that's going to be a problem. So I don't think that you can realistically expect and like pick on the calendar, be like, oh, this is something that's good. This would be a great time to employ the same strategy, though I do think the run first mentality, you're still going to see that. Trend, like throughout the season. I mean, that's still going to be their identity as much as, as this lopsidedness kind of skews it in one direction. Right. And that's exactly what I was getting at when we're talking about the sustainability of this whole thing. Is it uh, in terms of a 
plan will it mm-hmm. work um, not that every game you're going to run 38 times and pass 10 because that's just ridiculous I, I looked at last year Seattle had the lowest number of passes over the last five years and they threw 27 a game mm-hmm. so I mean clearly you're not going to throw 10 on a week-to-week basis but something that Seattle did this is very interesting I think when it comes to how the Vikings have just their general set mentality as an offense yeah and I'm not saying that this is most certainly the uh, best and and clear, most efficient way to do it in the analytics era. But Seattle did get themselves into the playoffs playing this way, and they did not have anywhere near the talent last year on defense that the Vikings have. So they were up toward the top of the league in yards per attempt, and they were number one in turnover percentage when it came to uh, their offense, and they in yards per attempt were you know passing. So the 427 passes that they did throw had good efficiency, many of which were on play action, which the Vikings want to use a lot. And then they never turned the ball over. Number one in the NFL at not turning the ball over. And they end up going 10-6 and and getting into the playoffs. And they were very similar to that. Fewest passes, lowest turnover percentage when they got into the Super Bowl in 2014 and should have run Marshawn Lynch. But they had to rank number one in defense in points and yards in order to get to the Super Bowl. They had to have a dominant defense. This strategy also worked for the 2015 Vikings, who yes. had the fewest pass attempts in the league. Exactly, and that's what I was going to... I just brought up Teddy Bridgewater's stats uh, to look at that 2015 season when they got into the playoffs. Like That's the type of quarterback play that Mike Zimmer is most comfortable with. That's why he loved Teddy Bridgewater. It's why that relationship worked out so well from a defensive-minded coach wants a conservative-style quarterback. I mean, there's a certain number of wins here that are very reminiscent when I went back and looked at the numbers uh, to what kind of that feel that we had on Sunday, Mm -hmm. not obviously as extreme. Um, He had 18 pass attempts against Detroit in a win in week two. Um, No turnovers that game. You know, if you go down, there's, he had another game against uh, St. Louis when the, well, the Rams are still in St. Louis at that point when he had 21 passing attempts, a win. When they played Oakland, 22 passing attempts, a win. You go down further than that, 20 passing attempts against Chicago, a win. 19 against Green Bay, a win. I mean, in his completion percentage, I mean, he was doing kind of the exact same type of thing that Kirk Cousins was tasked with on Sunday. Yep. Like, be a game manager. You can you can rely on, you don't have to make, you know, you can rely on a lot of short passes. You can rely on the check down game. You can rely on screens. Um, but playing like this, it's not a sexy style of football. I know a lot of people say it's boring. Even Mike Zimmer, when I asked him about, it was actually more of a question about complimentary football, but then he kind of went into how that wasn't even normal, that one four-play series where it was like, well, what just happened like mm-hmm. uh, in, inside U.S. Bank uh, Stadium? And he mentioned, he's like, yeah, like, you know, ran the ball a lot. It's not, it's you know, people are going to say it's boring. Well, it still wins you games. Like that, and with a dynamic running back like Dalvin Cook, I mean, I know there is going to be a need to see him in the passing game a little bit more this season. I am curious how, how often that's going to show up. Um, but if you can run him effectively, this is exactly what you brought Gary Kubiak in to do. Create an outside zone scheme that's predicated on the run um, and put pieces around Kirk Cousins that will work to what his strengths are and mitigate what his strengths aren't. Um, so to your point about 2015, this is what Mike Zimmer loved so much about Teddy Bridgewater is that they had a very low turnover percentage mm-hmm. in 2015. They were seventh, but they scored a lot on their drives. They got a lot of field goals that year when Blair Walsh remembered how to kick. And they were seventh in the league in scoring percentage. So when they had the ball, they were often scoring. He was 
um, moving the ball down the field when he was throwing the ball, uh, not necessarily hitting on big plays all the time, but just keeping drives going. They controlled the clock, all those things, and it worked, and they went 11-5 and almost won a playoff game, if not for Blair. And so this strategy... I don't know whether it can win you the Super Bowl. I tend to think, I think that it can it, get you there. I tend to think that it can't win you the Super Bowl. I don't think it can get I can think it can get you there. But you're going to run into other teams in the NFC like the Saints, the Rams where the strategy is probably not going to work. Right. It can definitely win you the division though. Sure. And then anytime you're in the playoffs, you've got a shot. And it's not like they don't have any offensive talent. Usually this is the difference with the Vikings playing this way in 2015. To a lot of extent in 2017, where they ran the ball, I think the seventh most in the league. And then this year is that they have a lot of talent to work with. So you're using a strategy that often is employed by teams that stink. And uh, last year, here's a great way to look at this, is that Miami, Arizona, and Buffalo threw the ball as much last year as Seattle. They were the next teams ranked. Those teams were terrible last year. So, of course, they were trying to like hang on to the ball and hang on for dear life. But when it's... Put in with a team that's actually good and has lots of talent, uh, then I think you've got a much better chance to win your division and then see where you go from there. So I think that this can continue to work in terms of winning the NFC North. The Super Bowl becomes kind of a different conversation. But let's take a break. We'll talk with Rob Domofsky from Green Bay ESPN reporter. When we return, what is up with this Green Bay defense? We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. You know, Xavier's a tough, competitive kid. We've been working real hard on his technique. Um, you know, and he still has work to do, um, just like we all do. But um, it's nice to have a, another big, strong guy in there that can move on a guy. And, you know, and we don't leave, you know, it's not always Xavier all by himself, but it is sometimes. Head coach Mike Zimmer there, back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, we welcome in, covers the Green Bay Packers for ESPN, Rob Domofsky. What's going on, Rob? How are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? Man, football, right? Like uh, an exciting, <laughs> exciting week. And I I wanted to write the Texans and the Saints a letter last night of thanks after on Sunday we got such a dog bleep game uh, for the night game. You know, you get home from covering one on Sunday and then you're like, okay, finally can catch the last half of this game and it's terrible. It just, it breaks my heart. So last night was great. And, and you could really start it from the Thursday night Packers-Bears game was kind of a dud too. Right? Uh, I mean, kind that, of? Yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was asleep okay, by the third quarter. Uh, yeah, they, they were, uh, in terms of the NFL 100, they were going back to like the very beginning <laughs> with a, a 10 to 3 game there. So let's start with that one. I mean, uh, we've been trying to figure out what we can learn from a game where the Vikings ran 38 times and passed 10. What did, what did you learn from a 10 to 3 contest about the Packers? Well, I learned Mitchell Trubisky's terrible. Um, so and, bad, and right? Bears, so and bad. The Bears are in. You know, the Bears obviously won last year with their defense, but the hope was that Trubisky would make this big jump. And um, the, the Bears are, I hate to say it, but they're kind of screwed because um, the quarterback's just not good enough. I mean, he might, he was obviously going to play better than he did the other night, but the Packers' defense deserves some credit for it. Um, 
you know, they the one thing you notice, and, and you guys have been to the Soldier Field press box. Uh, I know Courtney has, Matthew. I, I don't know if you have, but oh, you're yeah. in the corner. You're in that corner, and the and it's a terrible view. But the one thing you can really see is how fast guys get to the edge, or how fast they don't, or how slow they are. And for the last few years, the Packers defense has just looked so slow. You know, guys would get around the corner, and you could see those plays just get away from them. This year, the one thing from that vantage point, and you saw it again when you watched the coaches' film, they have so much speed on defense now um, that that it's just it's it's the same scheme they ran last year, but it's really completely different uh, because they just they're so much faster at the outside linebacker spots with the two Smiths. They're so much faster in the secondary at safety with uh, their first their second first round pick Darnell Savage. And it's just, it makes things so much easier. So while Trubisky was terrible, the Packers defense did take a big step in terms of their personnel this year. And, and, and to me, you know, that's the biggest difference in this team. Rob, at Soldier Field last year, they put me and Courtney right in front of Rick Spielman. And the game was a meltdown. It was like, yeah, it was a good time. And and uh, we can be snarky at times, Rob. I don't know if you know that. So we oh, really, yeah. oh, we yeah. really had to keep it down. <laughs> so all right, so ten three game. We don't really know. I mean, we can talk about the Packers' new look all offense, but is there really much to take away yet? And so it kind of made me think when Matthew talked about the thirty eight runs and ten passes for yep. Minnesota. Do you think then does week two kind of become? I guess really the season opener for both offenses because they really didn't show anything. I mean, it right. feels like there was still so much that was held back from that Packers game, especially after that first quarter where they were like historically atrocious. Yeah, it's interesting, Courtney, because I'm working on a piece for this week about how uh, Matt LaFleur scripts his first set of plays, and he actually scripts 20, most people script 15, but they were so bad early on that he didn't get to any of that stuff because they were in you know such big trouble. Uh, and, and he ends up, you know, going to his list of like, I can't remember exactly what he called it. I have to look back at my notes, but it's basically like the get us out of hell position <laughs> plays that, that he had to go to because they, they just were so bad offensively. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't think any of it had to do with anything in terms of, oh, the, 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 the phrase was get back on track or get back on track list. But I, I like your I name for it better personally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they had, you know, it, it had nothing to do with playing in the preseason or not playing in the preseason, which they didn't play. And it's just, this is just the way it is with a new, new offensive scheme, new play caller, new head coach. And um, I think you make a good point about this sort of being like the opener for the offenses because they just, there was so much different from both sides that, that I think, you know, we'll really start to see from the Packers perspective a little bit more of the LaFleur playbook. I mean, they want to run the ball and they want to create play action. Well, they average 2.1 yards a carry uh, against the Bears, and, and, and that's just not going to work. It throws everything out of whack. That's why you're 2 out of 12 on uh, on third downs. It's why basically they only had one halfway decent drive, and you know that was the one touchdown drive where Rodgers kind of makes something out of nothing, throws a deep ball to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and they cap it with the Jimmy Graham touchdown. I mean, other than that... You know, they really didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Before that drive, they had minus 12 yards of total offense in their first three series. So um, I expect that, that, that we're going to see a little bit more of the, the package this week, so to speak, and you know, how much more successful it is. You know, that remains to be seen, but uh, you know, they'd like to be able to run more plays this week. 
Uh, talking with Rob Domofsky of ESPN, covers the Green Bay Packers. All right, let me uh, circle you back to the defensive side because the Vikings uh, clearly had a dominant win, but when you go through the tape a little bit, there's some struggles in the 10 dropbacks. Kirk Cousins was pressured five times. That's a problem. Yep. And uh, there were even some run plays where they got blown up on the offensive line. I would like you to tell us about Zadarius Smith because when I watched <laughs> that game the other night, I was like, can yeah. confirm that man is good at football. Yeah, it's amazing to think he was just like a, basically a part-time player in Baltimore last year. Uh, he, he is so athletic, so strong, so physical. Uh, we, we saw it in training camp when they would do the one-on-one drills, and, and he would beat David Bakhtiari. Nobody beat David Bakhtiari. I mean, he's a, he's a three-time uh, all-pro uh, left tackle, two-time second team last year, first team. I mean, it's just this is a guy who never gets beat, and Zedaria Smith was beating him like he was – uh, you know, an undrafted free agent. So, you know, that that was remarkable to see. Um, he can rush inside. You know, they put him in third downs. They'll put him in, like, a defensive tackle position instead of the outside edge position. So, uh, you know, he, he is so versatile. Um, and, and really, Preston Smith on the other edge, you know, had a very, very good game. Uh, he came from Washington. And, and, it's you know, they ended up replacing – you know, 32-year-old Clay Matthews and oft-injured Nick Perry with two ascending younger players in the Smiths. And, uh, you know, their first-round pick, Rashawn Gary, didn't even have to play. He played 12 snaps, which – I'm sorry, he played six snaps. How many times is the 12th pick in the draft only play six snaps in his first NFL game? And it's because the Smiths were so dominant that they didn't even need Gary at this point. Yeah, that was going to be my question. I mean, what do you take? What can you take away from that? He went in for six snaps, recorded six, two yeah. pressures of that. Like, will, is his workload going to increase? Like, what does Mike Pettin want to see? Um, I guess is there going to be a rotation within the interior guys in the pass rush? Well, as long as the Smiths are dominating, there's no reason to take him off the field, Courtney. But you know, Gary, I, I think they thought it was going to be a little bit of an easing in process because he was a hand in the ground defensive end at Michigan, and now they're asking him to stand up and, and, and play you know, the edge position, uh, which is a totally different position. I, it, it does baffle me that these teams continually try to draft players that played in a, either a different position or a different system. Where have I heard this before? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unreal. I mean, the Packers have been doing it forever. Um, they did it again with Gary. They get enamored with his freak athleticism, and he is, he is a freak, but there's a re- I mean, production has always been an issue with this guy. I mean, he, he only had nine and a half sacks in three years at Michigan, you know, and, they, and he's the 12th pick in the draft because he, he runs four, five, eight at the combine. I mean, I, look, I think there's some real question marks about him, uh, but their other first-round pick, Darnell Savage, you know, he looks like he's the guy who should have been the 12th pick in the draft. Uh, I also saw when I was watching him potentially for the Vikings defensive lineman that he's kind of he was kind of a dog. Like he didn't work super hard throughout a game. That was a knock. Yeah, yeah, it stood that was out. A knock on him. Yeah, and and the pack. One thing the Packers say is that his effort and, and willingness has been, you know, very high. So they say that hasn't been an issue. Now I don't know whether they're saying that just because they know that's the reputation uh, that he had coming in. But yeah, you, you're right. It's he was look. On draft night, I said, uh, this is a guy who had a shoulder injury and didn't produce, so they drafted an injured underachiever. <laughs> yeah, uh, usually that works out great. Um, so, Rob, I watched the press conference from Aaron Rodgers after the game. 
Uh, I, I, could I call him giddy? It was a little bit almost weird for him not to have that defensiveness that he usually does when you guys ask him questions. And he just kept smiling every time he asked about the defense. Yeah. Was that the like most excited you've seen Aaron Rodgers in a long time? Because it was for me. Yeah, I'll say this, Matthew. He's been pretty happy all camp. Uh, look, I think he, he he likes the direction that they're going, both you know defensively with all the changes that they made. He loves Mike Patton. I mean, I don't know if you saw the clip on the sideline where uh, he basically you know gave Patton one of those celebratory shoves. You know, sort of like a sort of like a Seinfeld Elaine Bennis, get out. You know, kind of just shoved Patton. He was so excited. <laughs> And, and and I think he's really happy there. Um, I think he likes the fact that the defense can can win them some games. I also think he likes the direction that they're going offensively with Lafleur. Now, it, it, you know, there's a lot that needs to be ironed out, but I think he's happy uh, with everything. I, I put it to you this way: this, this the, since they've shown up here in um, you know for camp starting the end of July, so we're looking at what about a little less than uh, what seven weeks or so. He he's been as happy. And, and and in a good mood as I've seen him in a long, long time. And um, look, there's no question he can sometimes get snarky and, and, and sometimes be sarcastic and 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 be hard to deal with. But we've seen none of that so far since they've come back. You think Aaron Jones is going to be a bigger part of the game plan this week? And know that he's primed by by most yeah. outlets you look at for that breakout season. And what is it, year three for him? I mean, thirty nine. Yeah, the game plan did, yeah. dictated it that he wasn't going to run that much. But you know, do you expect a little bit more even against this defense? Yeah, again, it's another as you guys know, difficult defense to run against, a difficult defense to do anything against. But yeah, that the whole idea of this offense is to get play action going and, and you know obviously in order to get play action going you got to have some run game and they didn't have any of it you know really with Jones I mean I, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to get him a little bit uh, a little bit going out of the backfield in terms of as a receiver you know throw him some screens throw him some wheel routes just to get him some more touches that way uh, because they think he's a, a perfect fit for this style of offense and what they want to do Outside zone runs, uh, a lot of a lot of play action. They think it, that, that he is just tailor made for it. So, I would assume that that he would be a big focal point this week. But again, it's just so hard to do it against you know that defense. As, as you guys know, it's just, just so stout and, and, and so physical. Would it be fair, Rob, um, to look at our week one and say uh, still don't have any clue who's winning this division? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, look, I, I said beforehand I thought, uh, you know, Chicago and Minnesota clearly were the class of the division and that I was going to take the Packers, you know, a, a year to get their feet wet under, under the floor simply from the fact that history tells us that it's just, you know, first-year head coaches uh, are, are going to have a harder time. It's going to take a long time. I mean, Mike Holmgren uh, didn't make the playoffs in his first year with the Packers, and he had Brett Favre. Same thing with Mike McCarthy. You know, they didn't they didn't make the playoffs their first year. And in year two they were in the NFC championship game. So uh, you know, those are two Super Bowl winning coaches who with, with Hall of Fame quarterbacks who didn't make the playoffs in their first year. So how's thirty nine year old Matt LaFleur gonna do it? But uh, certainly they got a game the other night in Chicago that I didn't expect them to get, uh, which, you know, it's only one game, but it certainly, you know, changes the outlook a little bit considering they have three home games in a row now, starting with Minnesota, Denver, and then Philadelphia. So, you know, all of a sudden, instead of having to play from behind and, you know, maybe be an 0-2, you 
you're going to be one and one or, or two and zero, oh, you know, at best. So it's it's a little bit of a different outlook. Chicago, uh, again, you know, we talked about them and their offense. Their you know their defense can they play as good as they did last year? A uh, bit of a question mark. And then the quarterback, uh, you know, in your neck of the woods is is a question mark. So I think it's a it's a competitive division that at this point, you know, you can't really say who's going to be there. I did think going into it that there would only be one playoff team out of this division because I thought there was a lot of te- a lot of the top three in this division and there wasn't a lot of difference in them. And I don't know that anything's changed my mind in that way. I don't know that you're going to see a 12-4 and four and a 10-6 and six team come out of this division. I think the division winner could be 10-6 and six or 11-5 and five and everybody else, you know, around 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, well, a long way to go. And uh, Courtney and I will both be there with you on Sunday to eat your cheese curds and uh, enjoy some football. So we will uh, talk to you then, Rob. Stay away from the greasy brats at halftime. No. I love them. I will not. Johnsonville. Well, We only get one trip there a year, man. you got to go there a bunch of times. This is year 23 for me coming (laughs) to Packers. I don't know how many games that is. My streak of never eating a press box brat is intact. Never. Wow. Got to be over 300 and some games. What's the reasoning for this? I I love brats. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I like them on the grill. I don't like them sitting in grease. That's uh, fair. Fried brats are not great. That's a very Wisconsin thing. I should go to a brat fry on Saturday. Yeah, I'm trying to get my, uh, my, my, I mentioned in the Packers game notes for consecutive games without eating a brat. <laughs> without a brat. I know this. It's, it's, it's over 300. So. Well, I don't know if you realize uh, this, Rob, but we don't have great cheese curds here. Like, you have to get them at the, the che- fair yeah. here. Cheese curds are okay. Cheese curds are yeah. all right. Just the Lambeau Field press box brats. I, I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just warning you. I, I don't want to sit next to you, guys, in the second half if you eat one at halftime. <laughs> All right, Rob. Well, we'll see you on uh, Sunday. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. We'll be seeing you. Yep. Rob Domofsky covers the Packers for ESPN. Um, I eat everything. Every time we they go have to Green a great, Bay, They have I a really nice press box spread. I will say that because they have an omelet station early in the morning. You're which, big on the omelet station. Well, I actually am not because it takes forever. There's usually a very long line there. Yeah, that's right. Every, and right, everyone that's likes. why most people, myself included, divert to the brat stand. Mm. Uh, so last year I made one of the worst press box mistakes of my life last year. Okay, so I didn't eat enough at halftime. I might have had a cookie because I got a lot of food before the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't eat much at halftime. So when the game got over and we got back up, we did the podcast, did the articles, everything else. So I'm starving after yeah, we're done Yeah, because it was a really that. hectic game. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of time to... Daniel Carlson Daniel game. Carlson. Overtime. That's right. Yeah. So we're, we're all we're hustling and we're going up and down and everything else to the press box. It's a long walk to the press box. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Or uh, to the locker room. I get lost every time. So at the end... They bring in these sub sandwiches. Yeah, from, some cousins. Yeah, cousins, cousins subs. subs. Yeah, coincidentally, and they just throw them on a table. Oh God, I can still I can still taste how awful that melted tomato into my ham was. It was awful. <laughs> right. So we're wrapping up and everything, and I'm starving, and so Zolgad and I go to leave, and I'm like, well, there's a few left, and they haven't been out here that long, so I just scoop one up, and I'm eating it on the way home as Zolgad is driving, and I had to ask him to pull over to get. Uh, to like a gas station to get some other food to wash out how awful that was. It got the like greasy lettuce oh, sort of thing. And the, oh, I stopped at a McDonald's in oh. uh, Eau Claire. I can still taste how awful that was. There's not a lot on the drive back that no, there's very nowhere to lonely, stop. dark drive. Uh, 
you get on the road by 8, you're good. But if you get on any later than that, good luck. There's a gas station where I got Judd to put on a cheese hat and took a picture of him and tweeted it. You you do really great things with him with the <laughs> NFC Championship, getting him to buy the Eagles uh-huh. gear. He actually that, bought that. Yeah. Yep, He actually bought the Eagles NFC Championship shirt. <laughs> and I made him play basketball once and he hurt his shoulder. And uh, it's an abusive relationship, really. Yeah. So. Anyway, we'll take a break here. Uh, Alex Boone coming up in about 15 minutes. We will give out our first ever neck roll of the week for some tough plays in the NFL, some old school plays. And uh, we will continue the conversation about whether this can continue for the Vikings to run the ball, play tough defense. And I would like to make a point about a Kirk Cousins stat from Sunday. When we return, we'll be right back here on Purple Daily. 2.45 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. It's been 10 years since we all went on a bit of a ride with Brett Favre. And we're doing it again. We're we're doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Viking season. You can join Sage Rosenfels, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind. The 2009 Vikings edition on demand right now anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Or just go to scorenorth.com and click on Shows. That'll be Minnesota Sports Rewind over at scorenorth.com and anywhere you find your podcast. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. So here's Cousins. Again, the tackle and the tight end. Extra bodies on the left. And now Cousins reaches over the top, off the snap, and he'll get credit for the touchdown. Ah, yes. You're welcome, Vikings, for me writing about QB sneaks and then you doing it. It's got to be, had to be me, right? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Okay. And they read scorenorth.com, free website. They don't have athletic subscription. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Uh, probably. They yeah, have I a would... multi, what did you say? Multi hundred thousand dollar PFF subscription. Uh, I'm sure they can afford the yeah. $24.99 a year. It, do they get like oh, a discount? It's more expensive than that. Isn't they get a it? promo code? No, I'm talking about the athletic. I'm sure they get a promo code. Okay. I mean, everyone gets a promo code. But with our website and app and podcasts and everything else, it's all free, so don't complain to me about it. Because um, <laughs> we just give it to you. When was the QB sneak article? Was that a training camp that was, special? No, or was that, that was last year. That was before uh, New England. Yes, because that why I had to. I asked Brett Jones about that for you. You did. It was and Friday that, because I asked Belichick about yeah. it, and he gave the one word answer, and it was tremendous. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I'm also supposed to remind everyone not just that the website and such is free, but to give us a rating mm-hmm. if you download the podcast. So if you listen to this and you're like, oh, I should do that, because then other people can find it if you give it ratings. Hmm? Is that when you yell, hey, Alexa, turn on score north like Judd? Uh, yeah, I mean, do, I'm, I guess I'm not going to say this. Like, does anyone have an Alexa? But I I'm, think a lot of people do. Do they? Yeah. Really? I don't because I'm afraid that it's like listening in on me and going to like transmit all of my personal information. To I got Russia. news for you. Your phone's doing the same it thing. It absolutely is. I'm starting to get creeped out by yeah. it. If but... we talked right now about like, you know, I think I'm buying a washer or dryer. Washer dryer would pop up on Twitter as like a sponsored thing. Yes. So it's listening. Anyway, uh, conspiracy theories aside, just rate the podcast and we can talk more football. Uh, here's the stat that I wanted to give you, Courtney, for Kirk Cousins. 9.8 yards per pass attempt in his 10 pass attempts. And uh, I was looking back to 2016 where Cousins set his career high playing in a similar system, the McVay system. And uh, it was over 8 yards per attempt. Last year, 7.1 yards per attempt, which was toward the bottom of the NFL. So even though there were very few pass attempts, when they did throw the ball, it, it was efficient and effective. 
And as uh, much as Kirk Cousins didn't know how to feel about only throwing 10 passes in a football game, I would say the quarterback did his job on Sunday about as well as he's done it since he's been here. I mean, you, you threw efficiently and you threw it to the end zone and you scored when you were supposed to score and got your team ahead. Like, if you're the quarterback, good job, because I don't play fantasy football and I don't care if you rack up a ton of yards or not. It's only about do you do the things you need to do to win. And I thought he did that on Sunday. I did, too. And as much as nobody wants that game manager label associated with them, like for whatever reason, that's a knock on quarterbacks. Um I think it's okay in certain circumstances. Yes, you are a tier two or tier three QB in this league. And to get relegated to somebody who's just trying to manage a game and not screw it up, I'm sure that there is some sort of ego check that you need to have there. But why would, like, football IQ wise, you've got to know you're not going to be passing the ball when your team's up 28 to zero. Like, don't rock the boat here. Like, don't you don't want to be forced into situations where you're having to drop back and they know you're going to pass and they know that you're one-dimensional. I mean, that's what the Falcons were. That's exactly polar opposite. So, I mean, I look at the situation with Kirk Cousins and some of the things he said after the game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sh- and I know he's, I'm sure he's happy that they obviously got a win, but sometimes the tone of that, um, and maybe I'm not the only one, like just listening in for, to Sunday's press conference and being there and asking questions where it kind of felt like, yeah, this is a great way to, you know, I'm glad we won the game, but we're not going to get to do this every single week the same way. Like there's going to be times where, you know, he said, I don't think Coach Zimmer would like it, but our defense is, you know, alluding to the fact that defense is going to give up 51 points in a 52-51 win, like, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we might be playing, like, pulling back on last year in in Los Angeles when they beat and they lost to the Rams. What was it, 38-31? Yeah. Um, but how many other shootouts did they get into that year? Like, that stuff happens, probably will happen at least once this year. But to anticipate that either he's going to have to play hero ball all this time, I just, that's part of the reason that this offense is the way it is. So that doesn't, they don't make Kirk Cousins do that. So... There's a lot of great examples of this, of just doing what you need to do to win. Mm -hmm. And Russell Wilson last year is a prime example of somebody who threw for just over 3,000 yards. And you'd be like, what? What? He's super awesome at quarterbacking. And I'm not saying that their scheme is exactly right. Because when they got to the playoffs, they kept running into Dallas, who was a really good defense. And they couldn't get away with that anymore. And they didn't seem to adjust. But they did get themselves to the playoffs. And with Cousins, maybe it does disappoint him that he didn't put up big numbers or something. Or maybe he'd be uh, rather putting up three or 400 yards and winning a shootout. Maybe that's how he wants to play quarterback. But I don't know. how many times has he done that successfully? Well, that's right. And that's why the win-loss record is where it is, is because when he would get into shootouts, a lot of times, like what happened in Los Angeles, the more times he throws the ball, the more times there's a chance for a pick or a fumble. And it's just not conducive to how he needs to win games. And so I was looking at this, um, third down and long, like who performed, mm-hmm. who's performed the best third down and long since 2015. Patrick Mahomes averages 11 yards a throw on third and long, which is ridiculous, outrageous, absurd. That's far above everybody else. Well, it's because, too, like teams know that he might be a running threat on third down, so they're not just pass rushing. And he's just got an and absurd. He's, yeah, he's got a arm. good arm. Right. Uh, not taking anything away from that. So here's, but here's the next guys Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger. Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Carson Palmer, 
Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. It's all the best quarterbacks are able to do this. You have to go down quite a ways to find where Kirk Cousins is at 7.3 yards per attempt, which is more in the range of Alex Smith. But I think that if you're the Vikings, Alex Smith is somebody you look at as, can Kirk Cousins be Alex Smith for the year, where Alex won a lot of games by not ever turning the ball over, and Cousins has better receivers than Alex ever did in Kansas City, so they won a lot of games by playing this sort of conservative-style offense. Have you ever looked at Alex Smith's statistics? It's I have. A, because it's that's wild. When you talk game manager, who's the one who gets that label more than anybody else in that, in that tier of like the Kirk Cousins? Is, um, it's Alex Smith. Right. I mean, that's that's... And he's okay with it. I mean, the year that he, cause he was, correct me if I'm wrong, Cap obviously took them to the Super Bowl that year in 12. Smith was right up until then. So they had a few good teams in San Francisco that I remember <laughs> yep. had really good receivers on it, um, too. I mean, Michael Crabtree was there. It was like the end of the Randy Moss era. Um, so there's been these moments where he's had to come through and, and orchestrate a big-time passing attack. But by and large... They were getting by without Alex Smith having to carry the weight of the offense. And I just think within the limitations of what you know Kirk Cousins can do well, um, and also being kind of in fear of turnovers, um, and just the game losing the game in ways that maybe, you know, are more apt to happen with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. Um, I think you have to be aware of that. And that's one of the biggest takeaways from Mike Zimmer saying, you know, I didn't expect to throw the ball 10 times, uh, but I'm glad we did. And also, like, lauding Kirk Cousins, like, and we didn't turn it over. Yep. But that's a big thing. That's, like, one of the biggest things that I took from Zimmer's press conference on Sunday, just how happy he was with how cleanly they played. Not penalties, but, like, just in offense, like, no dumb mistakes where they were turning the ball over via fumbles, um, interceptions, anything like that. And you might say that there's a shelf life on playing like this, and I would agree with you. Yes. But what are you supposed to do? Trade Kirk Cousins for Tom Brady? No trade like, clause. I do it. don't think they're doing it. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that that when I get that response, because when I say that I think that this can win you 11 football games playing like this and having Kirk Cousins be efficient but not throw a lot and try to avoid turnovers and run the ball and play great defensive if they can remain healthy and perform like they did on Sunday defensively that that's going to give you a great chance to win the division it does not give you a great chance to win the Super Bowl but what do you want me to do about it no. like the only option did you see Drew Brees you got to beat him like I, I I can't sit here and tell you that there's any way anything you can do to make Kirk Cousins Drew Brees, that is not happening in any galaxy. So sorry about that, but can you make him Alex Smith the way that Smith played for a long time? Here's just crazy numbers for Alex Smith. After he became kind of full-time starting quarterback there in 2011 when the team was built around him and good, he never threw double-digit interceptions the mm-hmm. whole rest of his career. He went 75-35-1. and a Crazy win-loss stats. Tons of winning for Alex Smith. And then he was able to step up at times in the playoffs and then not so much other times. But that's what they're looking for, I think, in Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. And yeah, did you overpay for it? Sure, by a little. But again, there's not a whole lot you can do about that now either. This is the way you got to play to win, is the way I look at it. And if that's the market for quarterbacks and what we've seen this offseason, where it's going to get reset anyways by the time that Kirk has to either re-sign in Minnesota or go elsewhere, you're going to be paying. I mean... You're going to be paying for it regardless, um, unless you draft somebody. Mm-hmm. So, if you're ups- if if anybody's upset about an eighty four million dollar quote unquote game manager, why would you be upset if it leads to wins? All right, Alex Smith 
uh, no, Alex Boone is going to talk about Alex Smith yes. when we come back. Because I want to get his take on this. I believe Alex was on the team that went 13-3 and with Alex Smith as its starter. I'll double-check that. But uh, I, I want to hear what Alex Boone has to say about that and whether they can sustain winning by playing this way. Also, we got to look at this offensive line. People are concerned, and we have a former offensive lineman who can tell us whether we should be concerned or not. So Alex Boone will come up next with myself, Matthew Collar, and Courtney Cronin when we return here on Purple Daily. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. They did um, a really good job in the running game. We had a couple tough matchups in the passing game with some of their guys, some of the things that they were doing that we have to clean up technically and, you know, our footwork. But, you know, they fought and they they scratched and, you know, we got some guys cut on the backside. I thought Kyle blocked pretty well yesterday, uh, which was good to see. You know, Garrett had a couple times where they he was going one way and they backdoored him a few times. But, uh, you know, there's little cleanup things that will get fixed. Mike Zimmer says little cleanup things. The tape and the pro football focus grades look a little bit different than that. But to break it down, our friend and former Viking offensive lineman Alex Boone, along with Courtney Cronin here. What's going on, Alex? How are you? Matt, I am great. How are you? I Courtney? am awesome. Real hey, football. how's it going? Great. Uh, so I want to ask you about playing with Alex Smith, but we'll do that in a minute. Uh, tell Whoa. me... Dude, you're going to the vault for that one. Yeah, no, I know. And uh, you were mostly like a young buck then, right? So you were you were kind of watching Alex. All right, let's just start there, and then we can get to the truck fire up front in a little bit. Okay. But uh, <laughs> I, here's but my thought was, Alex, that if Kirk Cousins plays like Alex Smith, where he is conservative, but he doesn't turn the ball over, and when a big play is required, he can pull it out and throw it down the field to Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs, then Gary Kubiak's going to be a happy man. And if they have to throw 40 passes like they did last year, then they're not going to be happy, and that probably means they lost. Yeah, I mean, I'm agreeing with you on this, but the problem for me becomes what happens when you can't run the ball one week? Like, you're going to eventually have to, you're going to become that team that wants to throw the ball 45 times because there's going to be a defense that you're going to meet that says, hey, you just can't run the ball that well on us. And, you know, for us back in the day, it used to be Seattle. Like, every time we used to go play Seattle, they always stop our run. We don't, just, their scheme, the way they would play against us, the intensity of the game, like, there was a lot of factors that went into it. But that, those are the games that we would end up getting mauled, like 41-7, to 7, because we didn't have anything other than a run game. So you need a quarterback. And I see what you're saying in that, is the Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, is that, you know, is that comparable? And, and I agree, I think it is comparable, but it's a dangerous thing to say that because when you have a quarterback that's conservative, that won't take those shots, that kind of checks it down a lot and it kind of irritates you, eventually he's going to have to win you a game, and that's, mm-hmm. that's the scary thought. Well, I think that we got into that subject uh, right before the break, just talking about the game manager notion, because I feel like of any quarterback that's kind of in that same tier with Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith got that label all the time. Uh, And right or wrong, Kirk Cousins was that on Sunday. And if you think about the ways, like, is this sustainable? 38 runs, 10 passes? Well, probably not. And a lot of game plans aren't going to dictate it being this way where you're up 21-0 at halftime. But big picture-wise, I mean, 
Can can they do this in other circumstances down the line? I don't think it's going to happen in Green Bay. It's like you talked about, Alex. Like there's going to be certain defenses that just don't let you run the ball that well. But can you see this becoming maybe like a periodic trend uh, of the way that they're able to win games? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can sustain this for a while. I, I think that this is – you really go as far as you want to go. I mean, I remember when we were on our runs and it was like nobody could get in our way. Now, there was a couple teams, like I said, Seattle. We always played them, and for whatever reason, that game just went south for us. And I don't know why, but I can think of the year that we went up there into Seattle and we just started getting killed. And it was like a bad feeling and our taste in our mouth. But you can win a lot of games by running the ball and playing great defense. It's just – can you win the big games? Can you win the games? Can your quarterback go out maybe three, four, five times a year and put up the big numbers in the passing game, 300, 400 yards, and get you the four or five touchdowns without losing the game? Yeah, in 2011, you went 13-3 uh, and three with that San Francisco team and ran for over 2,000 yards as a team and only allowed 1,200 on the ground. And actually, Alex, I didn't remember this, that you played with one of my favorite guys ever, Booby Dixon. Remember Booby, Booby Dixon? Booby from, from Mississippi State. Yeah, Booby yes. D is the freaking best. I loved him. He was our uh, he was our goal line back. And he yes. was the guy that like when you dude. wanted to smash somebody's face, you put Booby in. <laughs> yeah, because he was he was every bit of a fullback in a running back's body. <laughs> I know, oh, yes. and he was uh, just a, a great guy to talk to. And uh, he was in Buffalo when I was there, so he was That's he right. was one of the best. Yep. So he would uh, always come back to Mississippi State's spring game when I was down in. Uh, but he still down tweets there. himself yeah. doing that. Yeah, Co- he uh, still does co- covering that. He'll always like they always designed a trick play for him, like to just run in off the sideline and catch a touchdown pass. It's awesome. I love the guys that you run into that aren't stars, but you get to know them a little (laughs) bit because of that, because they're not sort of sheltered off. And uh, anyway, Anthony Dixon, one of my favorites ever. But this this season, though, is reflective of what the Vikings want. That 2011 San Francisco season. You run for over 2,000 as a team. You give up 1,200. You give up three rushing touchdowns. The defense is absolutely fantastic. Alex, I I don't think that this is generally a model to win the Super Bowl, because of course it isn't. The model to win a Super Bowl is to have Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger or Drew Brees. That's how you win a Super Bowl. But if you don't have them, the closest you're going to get is about like this. This year in 2011, it was the 11th ranked offense, which is solid but not unbelievable. Second ranked defense in points allowed. I think if the Vikings copied this and they can with their defense, then you're talking about a division title and then you're just hoping in the playoffs that it works out. Yeah, I mean, I think... When you look at that Super Bowl, that was such a rough year for me to think about because it was such a tough game. But those were two evenly matched teams. The only thing that they did was they could pass the ball better than we could at certain times. I mean, I'm not saying that they were stellar or they were Peyton Manning-esque, but you know they could throw the ball to Jacoby uh, Jones, and and they had Anquan Bolden. Bolden was unbelievable, yeah. I mean, and that's where we really saw Anquan, and that's when we were like, okay, we need him on our team. And we thought that he was going to be the missing piece for our team that was going to help Kaepernick kind of take that next step. But, I mean, Joe Flacco was not a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady, but he could put the ball down the field with accuracy, and that's why they were so they were ahead of us in that game. It's even wilder that season. So that's the next season, 2012, 2,400 yards rushing as a team, which is outrageous. But, of course, you had a running quarterback. So, anyway, I mean, just to make the point, it's that teams have done this in the past and been successful with it. But I tend to think, Alex, if the offensive line is not really, really good and much better in pass protection than they were on Sunday, that this plan could fall apart with Kirk Cousins getting killed or with him getting pressured all the time, and that's when the fumbles come. He did fumble uh, the other day, and when he took a couple of blindside hits 
especially the one where Grady Jarrett strips the ball from him. I'm thinking if you do this against Green Bay, if you do this against Chicago, then we're going to have a problem here. Yeah, I mean, this defense was coming off a year that they were like, where was the pass rush? So when you start talking about these teams that actually have a pass rush, I think a lot of it was communication. You know, you talk about him getting hit from his blind side. That was a communication thing. Somebody's obviously going to have the safety, and when he triggers, somebody was supposed to come off, but they didn't. The funny thing is when you watch the replay, you can always tell whose guy it is by who turns around first. Like, who turns around and goes, oh, my God, he just came. Like, oh, dude, and, and I could instantly tell who it was. But a lot of that you clean up in the film and you say, hey, listen, our quarterback standing back there. We can't let him get. We can't let him get plastered like this. Like this is just unacceptable. This is your communication. You got to know. You got to leave. And, and it's just a couple guys getting on the same page. And but there were some things that were a little shaky to watch. And I agree with you. So we heard Mike Zimmer talking about the offensive line at the top of the hour and saying that there's little things that, to clean up. Garrett Bradbury, um, he didn't have a whole ton to say about it. But um, I want to talk about the interior of the offensive line because watching back. Um, the all 22 and seeing kind of what happened. Um, a great performance for sure. You know, just taking a look at like the overall body of work here with the run game, but it feels like there's things that are starting that will start to get exposed when you're not going against a team that is, you know, looks like a dumpster fire from the first like two minutes of the game, like Atlanta. Right, um, right. I'm really worried about Pat Elfline. Should I be? Because I, I went watching back on that. It's more than just the sack that he gave up. Um, he really, really looked bad, uh, you know, in pass ball. Blocking. And I mean, I know that that's never been like his strength, but right. there's in, in run blocking too. I know that PFF had a pretty low grade for him there. Should I not be worried about this or is this? No, I think it's definitely something you should be worried about. Like I, I get it. Grady Jarrett, he's a good player and he deserves his extension. He's one of the young and up and coming dudes. He's not an Aaron Donald-esque, but he's about as close as you're going to get to it in the younger version of guys in this league. But, you know, when it comes to moving a center to guard, I always get worried because they're dealing with so much more space. They forget, you know, these coaches, they go out there and they go, well, it's going to be simple. He's going to have so much more room to work. Well, sometimes that's not what a center needs. Like if you can't play center, productively and be an efficient center what makes you think you can be a productive guard like you know you've in- introduced so many more characters to this guy's role and you're saying hey listen not only do you don't have to snap the ball but now you have all this space you have to play with like i get it if you think it's easy but it's not and you know when you're looking at this game i think that there was not a lot of violent strikes with pat and i think that when you're talking about the pass pro it's going to take some time you know, you're playing center for so long, there's only certain guys that rush you. There's not a lot of pass rushers that move into the center position to rush them. So you can get all the practice you want, and I've talked about this before, but until you're in a live game, like a real-life game, you don't know what that's going to be like. And those guys are so much quicker now than they used to be. So it's it's. Uh, I think uh, Pat's dealing with a whole new world that he's kind of stepping into and figuring out that it's probably not as easy as he thought. So when he's playing center, I used to go back and look at just how he was performing. A lot of it was just helping guards, right? right. I mean, so right. the, the guard is handling his guy, but uh, Elfline can kind of get a shot in him if he's got that opportunity. When you're the guard, though, you've got to be the first line of defense there. Absolutely, and there's times that the center slides away. I mean, if the center's going away, then now you have a whole bunch of new space to work with. And when you talk about a center going to play guard, you're right. You're thinking about a guy that at one point was doing all the cleaning up and like the easy job, right? Because like, anytime there's a zero nose, the coaches tell you you can't leave the center. Like you got to get him on. He's a center. He's not meant to block this kind of stuff. You're like, <laughs> okay, got it. When all of a sudden you're the guy that they're like, hey, we're sliding to you or we're not sliding to you, and that's where things get tricky for Pat, I think. And you know, he's he's not one of these long guys. I feel like long offensive linemen are becoming a new thing and a, a new trend, and I'm liking it because they get 
their advantage is they get their arms on quicker. You know, you get your hands on the defense. Seems like some lineman. bias there from you. There is some bias, but you're seeing more of these offensive linemen becoming longer and leaner, and you're seeing like, oh, hey, listen, they're slowing down the pass rush because they're getting their hands on quicker. You know, when you get these short arm guys, they have to wait, and you have to wait for a move sometimes because you have to be strategic about when you throw your hands in there, and when you have short hands, you only have a limited amount of time. Is it safe to say that maybe this isn't the best scheme fit for him, though, in in an outside zone when you ask for guys to do things with more athletic frames? And I mean, yeah, Yeah. Garrett Bradbury is a completely different build, and I know that he kind of got the knock of like the short arms and you know being smaller, but lighter. It feels like Pat Elfline might be the outlier among the five there, just of in terms of it being a good fit. No, I agree, and I think that maybe Pat doesn't look the most athletic, and and I can say that because he's an Ohio State guy, and so am I. So I can get away with certain things, but at the end of the day, I think he is the outlier, you know? But to certain people's credit, sometimes when you're the bigger guy, you can withstand more things. Like, I think about watching Garrett Bradbury's tape, and I'm thinking, this guy's kind of getting pushed all over the place, and he's kind of getting spun all over the place, and he's not putting his feet in the right place. And and sometimes when you're bigger and you're heavier, you can kind of maneuver your body in places that you don't want to, but it can forge you more time in the pass game as opposed to a, a Garrett Bradbury who's just going to get pushed around by everybody. You know, I was thinking about this last night watching Oakland's offensive line and they're all your size or bigger. They're huge. <laughs> they're I massive. Mean, they're, they, those guys are genuinely some of the biggest guys I've ever met. Like, I remember going to the NFLPA conference and sitting down next to him and I was like, God, these look like sumo refs. <laughs> Trent of Brown the- is 380. They're huge, and they're so quick. It's incredible. And that's, yeah. what, that's like kind of been their M.O. for a couple of years. Like when I was out there covering them in 2016, and they're running like this. I mean, that was their they had like a power scheme. Like these guys are massive, and I guess you kind of expect that more. Um, but to, to like, like you were mentioning with a guy like Trent Brown, who's like a ginormous human being, and seeing how effective that is. Wow. That's, yeah. it, wow. But it does have its negatives, too, because don't get me wrong. Trent's a great player, and I played with Trent in San Fran when he first came on, and then he obviously went to uh, the Patriots. And how hard could it be to be Tom Brady's left tackle? I'm going to be honest with <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, he gets the ball quick. 2.2 seconds. Dude, hey, can you just get in front of that guy for a quick second? Okay, <laughs> literally, it's all I need. Like, okay, gotcha. But he is a good player, but the, his problem is when you start to work him and you work his inside and his outside or his outside and his inside and you keep changing it up, eventually you're going to wear him down, and that's when he's not so strong. And it takes guys a long time to do it because he's so long and he can get his hands on you so quick that he almost instantly shuts down the pass rush. But the guys that work him inside and outside and get him to kind of move his feet a little bit and wear him out mentally and physically, those are the guys that get advantages on him. Where my mind went, Alex, was the way that this offensive line for the Vikings is built is the anti-Raiders. So the Raiders have these massive human beings and and they're moving bodies. And so the the Vikings are using like a 1998-size offensive (laughs) line of guys that are are barely 300 pounds. And I, I think that there's an advantage that clearly they moved quickly in the zone runs and in the power scheme stuff that they ran on Sunday. But at the same time, when you are being asked to pass block guys that are essentially defensive ends lining up over guards like Grady Jarrett, who's on the smaller side, but incredibly quick on a weekly basis. I wonder how if there's like a big trade off there that you make to have a small offensive line that is not going to be as good at handling these guys. Well, that's when you start to say, hey, listen, we got to get the ball over our hands quickly. Or what you do is you go, hey, we're going to go play action, which, I, and, I, and this is always so hard for me to explain as an offensive lineman, and I, I don't know why, but maybe this, is, this will be easier. When you're running these play action plays, you're taking these huge deep shots down the field. You're running these dig routes, these Dino routes, long routes. 
and you're buying time through the play action and the fake. But not only that, you cap both sides, so both tackles are capped with tight ends, basically. And at the end of the day, you let the interior all work together. So there's a slide coming to everybody when you're doing a play action, and that's how you're going to hide all these passes, and you're going to get all these chunk plays and all these dig plays. Because let's be honest, Delvin Cook is so effective right now. Week one, he's probably the scariest running back in the NFL right now. So now everybody's going to have to go back and say, what are we going to do to stop this run? And you have them on the play action instantly. And, I mean, didn't look like Atlanta was able to stop the cutback whatsoever, even anticipate it. I don't know what that was. Um, But uh, one thing I wanted to get before we wrap this part up, I mean, Garrett Bradbury, I know that Mike Zimmer said there was a couple times that, like, they were all going one way and they kind of backdoored him. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are things I guess you can assume that you could probably clean up relatively easy. But what kind of challenge does he have? Um, you know, it's a it's a satisfactory check mark type performance from week one. But what what from what you saw from him, like what flaws in his game are you know better teams like the Green Bay Packers and what they have coming up going to be able to pick apart? Well, I think it's mostly going to be what are the veterans going to be able to pick apart from him? And you know, the reason that he's having problems is because he's not sustaining these blocks. And and when I say that, you know, you talk about a guy playing back door on somebody or cutting back or, you you know, you're going with them and then he cuts back. That's because you don't have enough force into him. You're not driving them. You're not telling them, hey, this is where you're going to go. At some point, he's playing you. And I think a lot of that has to be his size. When you play as a small player, people are going to treat you like a small player. But when you're in somebody's grill and you're going to hit them really hard and you're going to start throwing your hands into people's face and doing whatever you got to do to kind of set the tone, like, hey, I know I'm a rookie and I know I'm smaller than everybody out here, but I don't play these games. And I think that that's the one thing I wanted to see and I didn't. And I and I'm not saying I'm down about it. I don't. I'm I'm indifferent about it. I think he played okay. He's a rookie. He's young. That's a good team. At the end of the day, it's still a, a win in his column. So I think that next week coming out, I want to see more violence from him. I want to see him attack more people. I want to see him going after more people. I don't want to see him standing up and kind of getting pushed around. Go be in this fight. Football. Man, regular season Alex Boone takes it up a notch. Like I, I, We've got to I see him in this excited. fight. Let's go. Football. I, I do. That was, that was good. That was great, actually. Uh, <laughs> let's One more thing before we take a break. I wanted you to explain what it means to have uh, multiple running schemes like they did the other day. Because when Cook runs the one to the left for the Wasn't touchdown. Wasn't the first touchdown was a power scheme. Right. When you run 38 times. I can't remember exactly when they were. But I think it was the first touchdown. Is That uh, that was like pin and pull, right? I mean, that, yeah. looked, that looked like uh, some, some old school power there. As opposed to the zone that we've been talking about all the time. And if you could be multiple and mix and match with these schemes, I, I think they could be really good in the running game. Absolutely. I mean, you, you talk about opening up your offense to tosses, to wax, trucks, all these plays that are on the outside perimeter. And then you talk about, I think at one point, and I'm not sure, i got to go back and look at the All-22, but I think at one point I saw two traps. And it's been a long time since I've seen a trap play, so I got really excited. Gary. It wasn't very effective, but I want to go back and double-check to see what it was. Maybe somebody had an MA. But I think that when you open up an offense like this and you have all these plays, you force defenses to focus on everything. And you say, hey, listen, how are they going to attack us? What's our, you know, is our three technique a liability? Is he going to get trapped? Are they going to deuce him? Are they going to backside cut him? You know, there's so many things that when you put all this on tape, everybody goes, now we have to practice against all these plays. And now we got to, you know, they might not have been effective in the game. And, hey, listen. 
It's week one. We're still trying to figure out what we are. We know what our identity is somewhat, but we're still trying to figure out if we can hit these inside zones because a lot of those didn't seem very effective to me. And, you know, when you can't run it inside and you can only run it outside, well, now you've shortened, it, you've shortened the field for yourself, and that's not a good thing. So you've got to come back and make those inside plays more effective. All right, we've got the uh, neck roll of the week uh, coming up that we're going to each hand out someone a neck roll for an old-school gritty performance. That's coming up a little later in the show. Next, I want to talk uh, about the NFC North after this week. I think it's really hard to figure out what's going on still and how much we can learn and whether this uh, is sustainable for the Vikings. So Alex Boone with us. Courtney Cronin from ESPN will be right back here on Purple Daily. The best in the league, and there's a block punt. And Minnesota covers it up. It looked like Eric Wilson, the linebacker out of Cincinnati, came charging in to get it. I'd like to read some of the responses to Alex Boone's breakdown. First, uh, Alex Boone, great addition, comes from Tad. Uh, someone else that calls themselves Rhodes29Vikes on Twitter said uh, Alex is entertaining to listen to. And uh-huh. Skull Vikes mentions that uh, they would like you to replace Pat Elfline. So how's it going? <laughs> uh, you, you good? You The body good? Let's go. Let's go right <laughs> Dude, I that's the only thing I'm missing is a Lombardi ring, I swear. Yeah, yeah. Uh what is it what is it like now? I know this isn't your first year doing that, but like when you finally are done and you sit and watch football for the whole day, it's like, so this is why America likes this. Yeah, that and this is why it's so maddening. Because I feel like I'm listening to people say the wrong thing. <laughs> and it's like, man, this is really pissing me off. Like, no wonder everybody's so pissed off. I would be too if I had to listen to this. Is oh. it like just from like an analyst perspective? It's a lot of the analysts. Like, they, they'll go out and they'll say things. And they're so wild in their accusations. You're like, wait, how did you even come to that conclusion? <laughs> like, it's the center's fault. No, dude, you can't just blame the center because that's a cliche saying. Like, that's not fair. I don't know. I always find it hard in real time. Like, I know Chris Collinsworth does, I think he does a really good job um, when I watch Sunday Night Football of just how he'll find the strangest intricacy on a play that, you know, and they're seeing it from a different angle than we're seeing at home. But I get what you're saying because it feels like there's a lot of times where you'll talk to coaches and you'll talk to people in private and they'll be like, that was completely wrong. I don't know yeah. how they got that. And it's like to make, like, to make, um, I guess an assumption or just to say what happened in real time, essentially, I find that kind of difficult because it's like you're trying to keep up with it as it's happening and you're not necessarily seeing a replay right away. That's tough. Now, I, I find, Alex, that even watching the game film, there will be times when I'm trying to get some sort of sense for what coverage the opposing team is playing on a certain play. And I'll be like, I'm not sure if that's like cover three or if that's man or like what's exactly going on there. And like you said, a lot of times the announcer will just scream like, oh, it was this coverage for sure. And you're like, I I mean, I guess so. Are they like completely aware of what the rules are within that coverage? That's the thing that drives me nuts. Right. It's hard to say. It's so hard because a lot of teams, they'll they'll change up their plays. Like it's a copycat league. So a lot of people steal plays, but then they want to put a little nuance to it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... You can see the nuance, but the the announcer will just blow right past it and say something completely wild. He's like, Dude, "What is he talking about? No way, that's his problem." Like, what? No. Uh, question for you about coach management when it comes to some of these game decisions, because last night we're 
mathematically two of the most hysterically wrong decisions made by coach that uh, coaches that I've seen in a while. Vic Fangio kicking a field goal to go down 21 to 9 with 8 minutes left. You're like the game's almost over, buddy. Do you know there's only four quarters? You have to get within two scores if you're going to have any chance here. And then Sean Payton kicking the field goal to go up 6. Like that's a great idea as if Deshaun Watson can't score touchdowns with his arm. Um as opposed to just going for it with your all-time great quarterback on the other side of the field. So now mathematically, Alex, these things are very much like proven, locked, correct. But uh, from a player's standpoint, are you guys on the sideline ever thinking, what are, what are we doing? Why are we kicking this field goal? Why are we going for it? What the hell is coach doing? Or is it like, uh, just do my job? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, there's been a few times when, you know, third and one, fourth and one, and I mean, I can strictly remember a few third and ones where we passed the ball, and it was like, "What are we doing? What what are we doing?" Yeah, and statistically, we, better to run it, by the way. Yeah, are we really like we ran the ball for two hundred yards today? It's third and one. We're going to throw a <laughs> fake run pass? What? No, like that makes no sense. <laughs> and you know, sometimes you see like, okay, I get it. They're trying to pad someone's stats, or it's got to look good. But there was a there was a couple times where <clears throat> I remember fourth and ones where we would punt in it and coming out the field you were like man we could really get this like mm-hmm. this will be a no brainer easy we sure we're gonna do this we're gonna give them the ball back like okay if we lose it's on you and being a coach I wouldn't want to make half those decisions because yeah. there's oh, there's always somebody in your ear telling you what you think you should do and mm-hmm. then there's like well sh- somebody else telling you what you should do. See, I think that if you had uh, either math nerds or Madden players tell coaches what to do in these positions, <laughs> they would they would do so much better statistically. And you see teams losing games because they don't know when to go for it on fourth down. And my favorite over the weekend was Cliff Kingsbury punting the ball back to the Lions. You're like, uh, you realize the Lions haven't played very good defense like the entire second half. Your quarterback can run for seven yards, and if you punt, the best case scenario is a tie. Go win the game, my man. Like, what yeah. are you doing? So, I don't know. You know, there's a formula, too, that a lot of coaches work by that mm-hmm. has to do with the time in the game and how much you're down by, whether you kick the field goal or you go for it. And it's like they all know it because they all talk about it at the same, like, there's a formula and we'll know if we need to kick or we need to go for it. And you're like, what's this formula everyone talks about? Like, I got to know it. Nobody will ever talk about it, like, openly, though. Can't well, we, we found a, about a way to do that with, what is it, the pro football reference uh, win probability calculator. We did it uh, after the yes. second game of the preseason because I was so miffed in a way um, after Corey, it was the second or third game. It was whenever Corey Vedvik missed a few kicks and Mike Zimmer went for it, went for you two. You hated that he went for two, even though he was analytically correct in doing so by to like, win that darn preseason like, game. By, by like 5%. And I, and I get that. That is, I think there was more something there sending a message to your kicker like he did with Daniel Carlson that if yeah. he's going to miss it, he's going to go for two. But anyways, I mean, yeah, it's I find the analytics part and just like the real-time information that they can get from their analytics department that's up in the booth and then that's all relayed down to the field to make the call. Like, think about the pressure. You have like yeah. three seconds to make yeah. a call and be like, all right, we're going to go for it. It's a lot easier watching from the press box to make these calls, yeah. I will say that. You think- you think you think that it would be easier to make it from up there as opposed to on the field? Oh, I think so. I think if I think you had one person to dedicated it, yeah. to it, I think you should have someone dedicated to it. You should say, uh, this person who knows these things better than I do. Because you think about, if you're a coach and you don't, 
play Madden. And I really mean this with Madden. All you're doing is simulating real situations that happen. There isn't much difference from a real football game aside from the feel of the game. There's certainly, you know, who's playing and everything else. And maybe you feel like you can dominate a team on a fourth and one or something like that. But for the most part, it's just simulations. And coaches, how many games do they coach in their careers? Well, they do it probably the same way that their mentor coached them to do it, right? And that everybody else has always done it. So I think they just stick with kind of their best guess at how everybody before them would have done it, and they don't know what the numbers would say about how it affects your chances to win. I agree with you. I think that a lot of them don't care what the numbers would say because you're right. They follow what their mentor taught them to do. In this situation, my mentor would have kicked Mm -hmm. the ball, so I'm going to kick the ball. You know, it's funny, too, because a lot of times people don't realize this. It's about the gut feeling the coach has. And he'll tell you after the game, hey, listen, I felt like we could get that third and one, so we had to go for it. We got it. You know, or I, I felt like we couldn't get it. I'm just not comfortable with my offensive line or my running back. And, and you're like, most of this game is made on a gut decision. Like that's got to be a really tough decision in the moment. Like, man, I don't know if we should go for this or not. Like that's a lot of pressure. Well, I remember last year ahead of when the Vikings played the Rams, we talked to Sean McVay on a conference call and he kind of dropped this nugget on us, on us that he has a clock special clock management specialist. Mm-hmm. Who's Jed fish. Who's the former offensive coordinator at um, the university of Minnesota. And it's, I'm surprised more teams don't have that, or at least to be like, some do and they don't tell us. Well, Adam Zimmer controls the clock here. Like he's the one who's relaying the message down to Mike Zimmer on the field. But like, does that also include the analytics part? Like who is, who's looking at like the, you know, the situational stuff? Like where would that actually come from? Is that, is that a coach? I mean, it's, it's, it's scouting. Like what, what is that? It could be. So mostly the, when it comes to like clock management, time management, kicking it, going for it, a lot of that is the special teams coach. Like that's their main job is to, know the situations tell the coach that's why if you ever look at like a really big decision time it's always the special teams coach and the head coach talking and it's because the special teams coach is telling them listen here's the time you got if you kick this field goal there's a good chance we can get the onside back we'll have enough time to score a touchdown like they run through the scenarios in their head real quickly but in terms of analytics if there were to be an analytics guy it would have to be somebody the coach would call for i mean there's nobody on the headset that's going to be like now coach you have a 13 percent chance of (laughs) making this field like he would have to call somebody and be like, "Hey, what are we? Uh, what are the chances we're doing here?" Nobody's going to know that off their head. And you probably can't have computers up there, so someone would really have to sort of have uh, a great understanding of the concepts and how this actually works. Which is why I bring up the Madden player. That I bet the dudes that win championships on Madden are probably twice as good at this in terms of doing the right statistical thing every time. I'll give you an example that you would remember quite well when the Vikings played against uh, the Detroit Lions, 2016. The Jet sweep to Rhett Ellison for a touchdown was scored too quickly. That the clock should have been let uh, to go down a little bit more, and then Detroit would have had no chance. So it's fourth and one. So you, what you should do is wait and wait and wait to call the timeout. Then you call it. So this is the last play. And so Detroit doesn't even get the ball back. And that's like a, a thing that a Madden player would do a thousand times out of a thousand without thinking. But, uh, you know, Zimmer didn't get it right. And then even though it was a low chance, of kicking a 90-yard field goal or whatever Matt Prater did that day. 
but it happens sometimes. You, so you're, you're real hell bent on this Detroit Lions game with this sweep because this is like the third time you've brought it up. I know. I know. I remember really it so pissed well. Off it was about a, this about this clock. It was a wild. Situation. It was a wild game, and it was really botched. Um, <laughs> okay, then I'll move on. I'll move on from that, and let's talk about the uh, the NFC North. Okay. This weekend just drove me crazy. I'm like, this yep. is 2019, and you have head coaches who are great at this and spend their whole life at it and then get super scared when it's like fourth and one. It's like it's, You could get this. I believe in you. Um, but anyhow, the NFC North, I don't know what to think, Alex, because the game last Thursday night between the Packers and the Bears was, yeah, it was it was a grind it was fest. Awesome. Are you surprised that an offensive lineman liked that game? No, I'm not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you have to love the game to really love a game like that because everyone's looking around like, what am I looking at? But what I saw was, to start the game, a handcuffed Aaron Rodgers who looked miserable and pissed off as hell and then eventually kind of opened up to his offense and was like, see what could happen if you just let me flourish a little bit. I'm a peacock. you got to let me fly. But then they went back <laughs> to like handcuffing him again, which was weird because at the end he seemed a little strugglish again. What do you think that was? Was that like play calling? Was that yeah. trying to like pull the reins in on him? Because they were the second. It was the first or second quarter. And no, statistically, it was like just awful. It was like yeah. historically bad. Minus um, twelve yards or something. Yeah, and so, like, but like, what was that? I mean, do you think that was Lafleur like trying yeah. to rein it in? Yeah, I think that was Lafleur's offense trying to pull him in and trying to be into this. This is how things have to go. And and listen, the one thing people are forgetting to talk about. If you're going to do this Matt LaFleur offense and it's going to flourish, you need to have a run game. Where was the run game? When that doesn't show up, you can't be successful in play action. You're not going to scare anybody. Like Chicago's like, dude, listen, we're yawning at what you're trying to do right now. <laughs> like, you're really going to play action us? This is not going to happen. So all of a sudden, you see Aaron Rodgers kind of go, you know what? Listen, this is what happens when you let me just do what I got to do. And it went back to like the sketchy, skittish, I'm going to run around and look all crazy and then lob the ball up and someone's going to catch it 60 yards down the field. Like That's what he does best. Let him do him. Now, uh, with this Packers defense, Alex, I mean, we'll, we'll break it down more on Thursday, but uh, it's just something we haven't seen in a really long time. And I think that that makes this interesting is you could have three of the top five defenses in the NFL belong to the NFC North, and that wouldn't even surprise me if uh, Green Bay took a huge, huge step forward. I was really uh, I know that Trubisky had a tough night, but I was really impressed with what their defensive line did, and I don't think we've seen a D-line like this in Green Bay in a really long time. No, I will say that it's been a long time since we've seen a defense like this in Green Bay. Let's be honest. I mean, I remember playing Green Bay for many years and always thinking that their Achilles heel was their defense, and if you could just run the ball effectively against them, you would win the game, no matter what. No matter what Aaron Rodgers could do, because you would take the time of possession out of his hands and put it in your own and say, hey, we're, it's over. But no, this this team showed up. But I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that they've taken huge steps yet because I don't know how much of this was really Chicago just shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, you start the game with a fumble on a play that maybe should have been a little bit simpler. I don't know if the jitters are there. We haven't played in the preseason. Shame on us. I mean, you, you kind of had that coming. I mean, you know what? Listen, I'm still the only like ex player that's like you should have played in the preseason. Like guys are like, this is great. Save their health. But that's what happens when you don't play. You're too young not to play. There are you way have, too many you, mistakes. Like, yes. Just like, you're not gratified in this league. Who are you? Mitch Trubisky, okay, great. You have a great defense. But at the end of the day, who are you? Like, You need these reps. You need these live pressure moments. I mean, the center. I mean, watching James Daniels get thrown around was like embarrassing at some point. How much trouble is Chicago in with Trubisky? 
Do you I, think? I don't, I don't know if they're in trouble. I think they could obviously win with him. I think that there's a lot of teams that have won Super Bowls with mediocre quarterbacks. But at the end of the day, you do need to clarify some of these problems. Like this, You can't expect to go into a season where everyone has a lot of hype around your team. Whether you wanted that hype or not, it's there. And a lot of it is surrounded by your defense. And it's easy to go into a season and say the defense is going to save you every week. But it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to do it. I mean, you're putting a lot of pressure on that defense to hold teams to, what, 10 points? I mean, they just held Aaron Rodgers to 10 points, and they lost. And people are, like, now super pissed. So at some point, Mitch has to take the reins and say, hey, listen, this is my offense. I'm going to take the reins, and I'm going to do with it what I choose to do. And you can't be fumbling the ball and throwing the ball. I mean, it's horrendous. The ball, I mean, I did was not happy at all. Uh, Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin from ESPN here, Purple Daily Show. Uh, when we come back, the Vikings have made a move on the roster. Not uh, hugely significant, but not majorly surprising either. So we will tell you about that. And then we've got to hand out neck rolls, everybody, Ooh. for old school plays. We're going to do this every Tuesday uh, by design for Alex Boone, handing out some neck rolls. Mm. So we'll do that when we come back. Uh, making noises and excitement to hand out neck rolls is the most football thing you've done today. So we'll, we'll be uh, right back here on Purple Daily on Score North. 3.42 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. We all have our own big takeaways after week one. Good morning football gave theirs, and they started off with the Vikings. Week one, I'm going to go to that team, the Minnesota Vikings. I thought they were fantastic. They made a statement. They only threw the ball ten times, and they ran the ball down the Falcons' throats. They're the sleeping giants of the NFC. Yeah. We talked all offseason about the Packers and Bears. We talked all offseason about the Rams, the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles. Vikings were dominant. You know what? They were dominant two years ago, and I think Kirk Cousins is a significant upgrade from Case Keenum. I think Dalvin Cook, if healthy, could be one of the best running backs in football. They are the team that nobody was talking about before week one, and we have to be concerned about the Vikings. Watch out, Rams. Watch out, Seahawks. Watch out, everyone else we did all the talk about. Vikings are your sleeping giants of the conference. Well, Vikings fans, are they the sleeping giants in the NFC? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, and Alex Boone. Uh, okay, Courtney, why don't you tell us what moves the Vikings have made today? So in unsurprising news, considering his locker remained intact for the last <laughs> week or so. Brett they didn't Jones, try to hide this one. No, you Brett, guys are so smart. I know. We're clever, man. We just try. We've been um, doing this a while. Brett, <laughs> invest, I think that's investigative reporting. I think that there are no better people in the entire world than NFL reporters at reading through the lines of stuff of like what the team thinks and what they're going to do. Oh, sure. So we'll we'll listen to people talk and be like, hmm, you notice they didn't mention this. And I guess that's what they're going to do. So the news is Brett Jones is back on the roster. The Vikings now have a backup center. Because um, what Mike Zimmer was saying last week was, yeah, if Bradbury goes down, they're going to move Elfline over. He can play center again. It's like, well, that creates a hole at left guard that you could probably mitigate by getting this guy back. Um, and they wave Brandon Dillon. They do clear Chase McLaughlin off the practice squad. So I do think that no eventually... No backup kicker? Um, no, you don't need that, but you might want a fourth tight end <laughs> and keep him on the practice squad. They really liked yeah. him. Yep. yep. They really he, liked him. He's so going to be on the practice He's got to clear waivers, which should not be an issue, and then he should be back there. Oh, all right. So uh, those are your moves that the Vikings made today. Now it's time to debut a new segment here, specifically with uh, Alex Boone in mind, where we hand out neck rolls to people who had old school performances. Hit it, Jonathan. 
Once upon a time, the NFL was tough, and the fullbacks wore neck rolls. Each week, we learn that the league hasn't gone soft, and for the player who demonstrated the most grit, we award the neck roll of the week. Oh, man. So there you have it. Each week with Alex Boone here on Tuesdays, we will award neck rolls of the week. So who wants to go first? I think since we designed the segment for you, Alex, I think you should award your neck roll of the week first. Okay, so I'm going to go with my award of the neck roll of the week to Dalvin Cook for what he did to Deion Jones and how amazing that was to watch. Not only did he run over him, but stood over him also. and not only that, but for us at home, it was right when I think it was Spielman was talking about Deion Jones and how great he was and what a great asset he was to the defense. And it just in that moment, Dalvin Cook truck sticked him <laughs> so hard. It made me laugh so hard because it's it's refreshing to watch a running back in the NFL again that loves to hit people. And here he is. Lower the pads, if you will. All right, awesome. Courtney. Your neck roll of the week. Who are you giving it to? Mine's going to Deshaun Jackson, and it's not just for the two touchdowns of 50-plus yards. He did that with a broken ring finger. Like, I don't think that we talked about that enough. Like, he was playing with a broken, what is it, a digit? Is that the Yeah, they the call right fingers word? digits, digits. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. And I'm not going to put that, I'm not, I know that it's not as intense as the one that you have, Matthew, coming yeah. up and with Dalvin Cook, too. Um, but I think that that one cannot go by the wayside without just, you know, giving him some, pr- giving him some pride for that and just, Carson Wentz and Deshaun Jackson, the show has arrived. Like, I am really excited to see what this yeah. Eagles offense can do this year. And there is, I mean, the last time I found this really cool stat. So he had the touchdowns of 51 and 53 yards. The last time that a player had two 50-yard touchdowns against the Redskins in the same game was Deshaun Jackson in 2009 <laughs> uh, when he was with the Eagles in the 27-17 win. So good for him. Good for D-Jack. I love it. I think that the Eagles are – I picked them as my Super Bowl team this year. Uh, this is probably going to be a big reason why. So what do you think, Alex? A wide receiver with a broken finger, huge game. I'll, get, I'll give it to her. Neck roll. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's okay. a thing that happens to linemen a lot. An, we know. An, I know. And they, it was an injury, and I thought, it, I just, I thought if we're going for toughness here, the toughness meter's got to be at least a six, right? I don't know. I mean, you're not really <laughs> catching these balls aren't coming from Kaepernick. Like, they're not whizzing through the air. You know like, he broke a few digits. Just, I mean, the, the, those balls sounded amazing when they'd go by your head like a rocket ship. But it was awesome. But yeah, I guess I see it. I'll give it to you. Kaepernick threw, I think, 96 miles an hour with baseball. So, yeah, that's uh, he had a gun. So, um, All right, I, I got to give out mine to a WWE wrestling move that DeAndre Hopkins pulled last night. Uh, Deshaun Watson let one loose, and it was intercepted in the secondary. And instead of just pulling a guy down by his shoelace, DeAndre Hopkins decided to be an old-school linebacker and suplex the guy who picked off the pass. He picked him up turned him around, and threw him on the ground. And, of course, he was penalized. And I'm not saying that uh, I am for violence that is uh, you know, penalized in the NFL now, but when it's a wide receiver picking a man up off the turf and slamming him down, I'm impressed, DeAndre Hopkins, and you get my neck roll. And last last night he said about the roughness penalty, he's like, next time I'll play touch football. I oh, mean, all right. okay. Well, you get even like... more credit for that. <laughs> Definitely deserves that neck roll. No, I... I... 
I agree with you. I think the best part was after he did it, you saw a couple of the Saints players just like kind of stepped at him like they were about to do something, and he was like, no, you don't want to do yeah, that. No, you're not they doing stopped. That. They instantly stopped. Like You know you have credibility when players are like, nope. Nope. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like you get that neck roll for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, all right. So we'll do this every week where we point out performances of toughness and give out neck rolls. Uh, all right. Let me ask you guys this. So what, uh, what do we need to find out still? Or how much do you think we really did find out? Uh, Courtney, why don't you start with this one? Just about this team in week one, because I, I think you can take away a lot of things. I wrote about. Um, some of those things at scorenorth.com, for example, Everson Griffin looks like he's really good again. So there are performances like that that you can say, all right, we learned something. But on the whole, do we have a good sense for who the Minnesota Vikings are? Or was this just an ass kicking and they're going to be tested a lot more as we go forward? I think it's probably the latter, just because Atlanta, those four plays in the in the first series of the game completely dejected that team. Um and yeah, it was nice complimentary football, which was an element of this of the, this Vikings team that was completely lacking last year. But I still think, like we talked about with Rob Domofsky earlier today, both of these offenses, the Packers and the Vikings, this can basically be week one for them. They didn't have to open up the playbook at all. They didn't have to expose themselves. They kind of could keep a lot of it in the, in the passing game pretty vanilla because mm-hmm. uh, they could rely so heavily on the run. So I think week two we'll find out Okay, what does this passing attack look like? What does Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen in year two look like? Can Irv Smith get involved in more and do more than just blocking? And I think his blocking downfield is tremendous. But um, that to me is that the offense still leaves. There's a big question marks true, truly about Kirk Cousins in the passing game because we just didn't see it and they didn't have to. That's like the benefit of it. What do you think, Alex? I think that there's some things still to be seen. Obviously, defensively, we, we've seen enough. You guys are great, as usual. I mean, I I think that when you're talking about the back end, Anthony Harris just coming in like a firecracker. Harris and Smith, guys are playing great right now. Eric Kendricks, I think, in coverage is phenomenal. And sideline to sideline, D-line, you know, Ev's back, Daniil, they're, they're getting pressures. They're scaring quarterbacks before they even really do anything, and and like you said before, when you start the game with a sack, and it's like, okay, hey, listen, did you guys even show up to play today? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure you want to do this? Because we had just started this game. And that really set the tone for the whole game. But not only that, but the block punt. You know, there's some yeah. really nice complimentary football. But they are going to be tested in the sense that if Green Bay really talks about being the team that they say they are, then you have to stop the run in your own house. And that's when Kirk Cousins needs to come alive. And I think you're right. I think Irv Smith needs to show up. I think that uh, you know Kyle Rudolph needs to show up. I think that this team's going to be tested in Green Bay. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, this is much more of that let's get a big game feel because when you block a punt right away and then it's 7 nothing, and then there's a pick and then it's 14 nothing, it just sucks the air out of the building a little yeah. bit for anyone who wanted to enjoy a football game, but also for the team that's down 14 nothing, it just doesn't have that same sort of feel uh, as it would a, a back-and-forth game where you're going to find out more about how this team is going to perform when they're really pulling out all the stops to win as opposed to, Hey, we're up by a ton of points. Let's just hand off. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Harris. Now, you get to play with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anthony Harris is one of my favorite stories on this team in, uh, I guess, the entire time that I've covered them. Because when I arrived here at the beginning of 2016 to start covering the Vikings, he was just a guy, like a special, special teams. Yeah. He had been on the practice squad the year before. 
And, you know, he's one that's hanging around. You say hello at his locker, but you never have any good reason to uh, interview the guy because he's just not playing that much aside from special teams. And he goes from that to being an exceptional performer on a weekly basis for this team last year and then doing it again this Sunday. I don't know about you, Alex, but I think guys like that are inspiring to everybody in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at a story like this and you say, here's a guy who's worked his way to the top. And let's be honest, to get two interceptions in a season, let alone in a game, I mean, that's tough. And to do it off Matt Ryan, congratulations. I mean, you put your name at the top now for the year and people are going to start to see what you do. And and this just has to do with a lot of hard work paying off. And people always want to know, you know, hey, how did that guy get here? He just worked really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Harris is that exact story. He worked every day in practice. I mean, he was good back then. I remember practicing against him. He was fast, great ball skills, great instincts. I mean, you want to talk about a safety, he's one of those guys. Yeah, and he, in 2015, my favorite Anthony Harris story, when he came up from the practice squad. He was, I think it was the Arizona game when just the secondary was completely decimated. Um, and that was, that was, I mean, that was his rookie year. Yeah. And he was, yep. that game, he was tasked with calling the back, back end of the defense. And I think that that just shows, um, the, you know, just the responsibility and kind of like the, the football IQ that he has. They can trust him to do stuff like that. And certainly yeah. how he and Harrison Smith play off each other is, you know, a really fun sight to see. I also think that it's evidence, Alex, that this team has a good sense, whether it's scouting or front office or whoever's making these decisions, but it has a good sense for when a player has high intelligence and they might not be the fastest or something like that or jump the highest or whatever. But what's going to translate to a complicated defensive system that is the NFL, right? And right. and how they can develop into what their full potential is. And we've seen it from just so many players, especially in the secondary, that it has to be a Vikings thing. It can't just be a total random. I, I think like you and I were talking about Tom Johnson the other day. Like They just tend to find these guys who aren't known or anything else like that and then become real you know, significant players. You know who does that also? Bill Belichick. <laughs> I know, right, yeah. And that's what they're really good at. And it's fun because when you talk about some of the best players in the NFL, most of them are these guys that are super smart, understand mm-hmm. the concepts, understands the concepts that they're in, what makes them good and what makes them bad, and they stay away from it. And it's, you know, you talk about this back end right here, this is one of the smartest in the league. Yeah, no question. Alex Boone will be together on Thursday, and we will set the table for Green Bay. So thanks, Alex, for your time. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Can't and wait. Uh, Courtney Cronin as well. Every single Tuesday here, the three of us, uh, the first hour, Courtney and I, and then second hour with Alex. So, um, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow with more football. We'll talk to you then.